Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. In their season of sin and rebellion against the Lord, there isn't much that's accomplished in their lives. Nothing worth noting. The things that are noted are instructional and, you know, they were getting punished and they were messing up, but they weren't accomplishing very much. And I think that we can learn from that, that in, in seasons that we may spend in rebellion against the Lord, not yielding to the Lord, not obeying the Lord, you look back over those seasons, there won't be much to show for it. To say that Israel didn't really accomplish much in their wilderness wandering would be an understatement. In fact, what shouldn't have even taken but a few weeks time ended up taking them nearly 40 years to arrive in the promised land from Egypt. In today's message, Pastor Bill reflects on an important lesson that we can glean from Israel's sin in the wilderness. In his study, you'll learn that when we choose to live in a season of sin, more often than not, we have little to no progress in our faith. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of Numbers chapter 20 for today's edition of A Transforming Word. For you guys that were with us in chapter 19, we talked about purification and um, just how that the Lord wanted uh, his people to be a pure people. There's going to be, in some respects, uh, it's a sad, there's sad events in the chapter. We're going to see the death of Miriam, the death of Aaron. Uh, Moses is going to make a major mistake and, and find out that he can't enter into the promised land. Uh, we're going to see um, that there's a, a mangling up of this picture that God had set forth. And uh, but in the midst of all this, as we look at each one, I believe that there's there's things that God would show us about himself, uh, his will and his people. So Numbers chapter 20, I'm going to read verse one. It says, then the children of Israel, the whole congregation came into the wilderness of Zin in the first month. And the people stayed in Kadesh and Miriam died and was um, and died there and was buried there. So it opens up with just right out the gate. Um, the children of Israel had moved. Now, this is important. We'll talk about it more later. But they had come back to the place where they originally had rejected the Lord. Um, you guys remember, this is where they were when the spies went out to spy out the land. And they came back and said that they were, you know, they were like grasshoppers in their sights. They've been brought full circle back to where the place where they were when they had rejected God in the beginning. And interesting that this whole, you know, it's a, you know, about 38 year period of them wandering around the wilderness has been covered in about six chapters. And one of the things that I would note right out the, right out the gate, just as we begin to look at these things is in their season of sin and rebellion against the Lord, there isn't much that's accomplished in their lives. Nothing worth noting. The things that are noted are instructional and, you know, they were getting punished and they were messing up, but they weren't accomplishing very much. And I think that we can learn from that, that in, in seasons that we may spend in rebellion against the Lord, not yielding to the Lord, not obeying the Lord, you look back over those seasons, there won't be much to show for it. There won't be much that you can look back and say, wow, God was doing this through me. There'll just be wasted seasons, wasted errors of our lives. And so this is where they've come back to at this time. 
they rejected it. This is a, it was in Numbers 13, 26, where they rejected God's call to go in and receive the promised land. And 38 years later, they were no closer to the promised land than they were 38 years ago, right? They just got back to where they were in the beginning. So they're no closer 38 years later. They're no closer to the promised land than they were. And you just think about that spiritually because there are people who, because they won't obey God, they won't step out in faith. They won't repent of things that they're doing. They won't let things go. They just, years go by and they're no closer to what God has in store for them. They're not, they're not a step. They're, they're right where they were seven years ago, six years ago. May that not be true for any of us. May we all be people that are walking in faith and walking in obedience and that we can look back and see the progress is being made. None of us are done yet, um, but but hopefully we're looking back and we're seeing, God, I'm progressing, though. I'm, I've moved forward from where I was this time last year. Um, th- these are the things that I'm doing right now to, to ensure that I will continue to move forward. These are the steps of faith that I'm taking. These are the steps of obedience that I'm taking that our walk and our relationship with the Lord, that would be progressing, that we would not be stuck and we certainly don't want to go backwards. So that's where they happen to be. And um, I, I wrote down on my thing that when, when we don't obey God, we are wasting our lives and our time on earth. And um, if you're writing notes, you can write down Ephesians 5, 16 through 18, where Paul tells the believers to redeem the time, that, that we wouldn't waste time. He says, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And don't be drunk with wine wherein is dissipation, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. We want to be redeeming the time, not wasting it. And the idea of redeeming the time is like buying up opportunities, you know, that, that you would see every day as an opportunity to do something great for the Lord. Every single one of us has opportunities every day. God will just throw them out there to you. There'll be opportunities each day to redeem something. Just to, to take something back for the Lord, if your eyes are open and your heart is willing, God will put those opportunities before you and, and you'll just have to seize them when they come up. And so um, we want to redeem the time. We don't want to waste it. So last part of verse one, it says Miriam dies there and was buried there. A uh, few things about Miriam's life. Um, she she you know, she dies here at this thing. She was the first of Moses's siblings to die. Aaron's going to die a little bit later on. Her death was an important fulfillment or demonstration of God fulfilling his word. Remember, God had said that none of them from the group that was there, he said, none of them that are going to enter the promised land. And so uh, and that's going to go for Aaron and Moses and Miriam as well. She doesn't get to enter in because, um, you know, that was what God told him in Numbers 14 because of their refusal to go in. Her death shows us this, that there's there's no special exceptions um, just because she was Moses's sister, you know, she didn't she didn't get a pass. Um, she dies here. She doesn't get to go in. God had said of the group that was out there it was only going to be Joshua and Caleb that were going to go in. And I want to just highlight a few parts of Miriam's life and point out something I think is kind of interesting. The first when we we're introduced to this young lady, Miriam, she's doing a really heroic thing. Remember, her brother Moses had been put out. Um, in the little ark and put out and, and, and pushed down the river. And she was the one that ran and and had a part in, in, in getting her little brother into the hands of, of Pharaoh's daughter and just running back and letting mom know. But she had been the one to go out and assist in that whole progress and so and that, that whole process. So we saw courage in her and her being used, her being a good big sister, things that we see there later on. Um, as the, the Israelites have some victory, we see her leading in praise. 
Um, there's the song of Miriam written out. That's in Exodus 15 verses 20 and 21. An awesome song of praise that she that she lists out. But then, you know, the last thing we saw, the last time we saw Miriam, um, last thing we saw her do was in chapter 12 when she spoke evil against her brother for marrying the Ethiopian. And remember, God punished her and she became leprous and she, he interceded for her and she was healed. But if you mark that time where she spoke against her brother, there's nothing else about her until right here where she dies. And I just I was just considering that as I was going through this and looking over it. That's the last thing mentioned. You know, there were these little moments of awesome things here, awesome thing here. And then she got to where rather than being progressive in her walk, progressive in her service, she turned inward on her brother and, and, and spoke evil against him. And there was nothing else said. And then she dies right here. Still a believer, I believe we'll see her in heaven. But if we can draw something out from that is this. Part of moving forward and progressing your walk with the Lord, um, our enemy is out there. When you find it's, it's, it's one of the it's, it's, a, it's a sign that you're in the wrong direction. When you begin to make enemies of the people of God, the people that we're supposed to be serving with. When, when you turn inward on, um, know that there's nothing good that's going to arrive from that. Um, that might be the beginning of the end of what God was doing in your life. Be cautious. Be so careful about even letting the enemy turn you against those that are in his service, those that are serving him. And note that we do serve alongside imperfect people. And so it isn't that Moses was perfect or her brother, the people that she served with was perfect. But God didn't like that. And he doesn't want that for us either. Um, God doesn't want me turning inward on those that. I'm serving alongside or serving under or serving with um, my enemies out there, um, flesh and blood. My enemies aren't people. Um, they're principalities and powers. And so we want to be cautious about that. That's that's where it all seems to end for her and her life ends here. And um, that's kind of really it. There's nothing else said. So she Miriam dies. Verse two to two through six. Now it says now when there was now I titled this section, the thirst is real. And we're going to see that the people are. They got a legitimate gripe, a legitimate need. They're thirsty, but they go about having their need met in the wrong way. And so it says now there was no water for the congregation. So they gathered together against Moses and Aaron. First mistake. If they're thirsty, they should pray. They should go and ask for help. But they're doing exactly what their parents did. This is the next generation. Um, This isn't the same group that was doing it before. This is a whole nother generation of people. But I want you to note that the things that they say are the exact things that their parents said. And so it says that they gathered together against Moses and Aaron, verse three, and the people contended with Moses and spoke, saying, if only we had died when our brethren died before the Lord. Why have you brought up? Why have you brought up the assembly of the Lord into the wilderness that we and our animals should die here? And why have you made us? come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place is it not a place it is not a place of grain or figs or vines or pomegranates nor is there any water to drink and it's uh, so I'll, I'll come back to what Moses and Aaron do in response a couple things here and I think a few things for us to take note of these are the again this is the next generation and I want you to notice how that their complaints are the exact same things their parents said the, the complaints that their moms and dads had. How come you brought us here? The same thing of going against the leadership, you know, com- you know, coming together against Moses and Aaron. That's what they're doing. They're doing what their parents did. 
um, complaining against the men that God has raised up before them, not praying, not seeking God. And then looking at what the Lord did as though it was an evil thing. They were slaves in Egypt. Remember their parents did the same thing, acted like when they were in Egypt, it was all good. You know, we had leeks and onions, they said, um, not acknowledging that they were brought out of Egypt as slaves and God had delivered them and freed them. This group is saying, why did you take us out? Why didn't we just, we should have just died with our brethren. And when you look at the phrase where they said, you know, before the Lord, they're blaming God. They're saying, we should have just died with our brethren before the Lord. Like God did this. Not because they didn't die because of their rebellion. They're saying, you know, God did this to them. Like it was unjust, like it wasn't right. And as I read this, I would just challenge all of us as parents. Because again, I'm looking at this. They learned this from their parents. What are, what are your kids learning from you? What are they learning from you about how to handle difficulty? What are your kids learning from you about what to do when difficult things happen? What to do when you're upset? What to do when there's a need? What are your kids learning from you? What do you do? What do they see you do when there's a need that needs to be met? Do they see you cry out to the Lord in prayer? Do they see you praying? What do they see you doing? Um, what are they learning from you? That as they watch, as they observe you and watch you go through, the parents never gave a class and say, hey, kids, next time there's no water. You guys all rally together and get really angry and yell at Moses and Aaron and God will respond. They didn't do that. They just they picked this up. They saw this happening and now they're doing exactly what their parents did. We want to be careful about uh, our lives as, uh, as as parents. We're we're the spiritual examples. We're laying down an example for our kids to follow. So just every parent, consider that. Consider your language, your speech. You know, as, you know, when I worked with, I worked with little kids at one point. I know high school kids can cut up, but at one point I worked with kids out at, at, at a, it was like a summer day camp and it was smaller kids. And there were a couple kids that, you know, you catch them off to the side and these kids could cuss. Like better than little kids should be able to cuss. I know little kids might know a couple words, but they, they knew how to string them together. They knew the right way to enunciate. Um, they knew where to put the emphasis and everything else. And I remember this kid getting in trouble and, you know, he got, he had to sit down and he missed a field trip and they brought his parents in. And as the parents were brought in and they were being confronted about this kid, everything he learned, he got it from them. That's how he knew how to cuss so good. That's how come he knew where the words fit and how to, where to enunciate, where to really put the, you know, make it stick. He learned that from mom and dad and how embarrassed were they? Um, one of them was a staff and how embarrassed were they that, that their kid is there and it's like, well, that's, that's where I got it from. We want to be careful that the example that we lay out, the things that we put forth for our kids. Again, I don't know if they did this intentionally, but it, but it took. And now they're doing the same thing. They're coming against Moses and Aaron. Verse six, um, Moses and Aaron do the right thing. It says, so Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembling to the door of the tabernacle of meeting and they fell on their faces and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. And I just would note that that's the right response. Um, they're being attacked. People are coming against them. There's all this pressure, all this anxiety. They, they could have took it upon themselves at this moment, but they do the right thing. They just fall on their face. They go, they go to the place where they meet with the Lord at and they fall on their faces before the Lord. And I would encourage us that when life squeezes you when there's pressures when there's things mounting up and you're like ah, you know you, you, you got a few options you can lash out at people you can reach out to people or you can just get on your face and cry out to the Lord 
Um, that's the most effective thing you can do when you're overwhelmed is to take it to the Lord and let him minister to you. Let him let him bring you back into a place of, of peace and normalcy. And so they cry out to the Lord. They do the right thing initially. Verse seven and eight says, then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, take the rod. You and your brother Aaron gather the congregation together and you got to pay really close attention to the instruction that he gets. Speak to the rock before their eyes and it will yield its water. Thus you shall bring water for them out of the rock and give drink to the congregation and their animals. And so Moses does the right thing. Moses and Aaron, they go and they lay before the Lord and they cry out to God for, you know, just what do we do with this people? You know, and God says, this is what you do. He says, take your rod, you and your brother Aaron. So it's talking to Moses. Moses, take your rod, the symbol of your authority. Get your brother Aaron. You guys go to the congregation. And he says, I want you to speak to the rock. Everybody remember last time God brought water out of the rock. What did he tell Moses to do? Strike it one time. So last time God said, strike it. And he struck it and the water came out and the people were ministered to. They, they got to receive everything they need. This time God says, speak to it. And there's a picture here, and we'll, we'll come to that in just a little bit. But God gives very specific instruction. Speak to the rock, and God promises that it will yield water for the people and their animals. That's how their needs are going to be met. Now, I want to just say this to Moses' credit. I mean, as I read the stories over and over again, this would be a frustrating group of people to be the leader of. Every, they just come against you for every single thing. They're talking about you. They're, bah, bah, why'd you do this? Why'd you bring us here? Why'd you? I mean, I could understand just day in and day out, this mob of people just, just, I understand what that might feel like. Um, not totally, but you know, just, I, 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 I want to be cautious because Moses jacks up right here. I just want to, as I read it and I look at it, I want to be careful that I don't, that I don't share it like, how could he? I'm, I'm looking at them and I'm saying he did a very natural thing when he needed to be walking in the supernatural and it cost him a lot. So this is what he does. Verse nine, Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he commanded him. So first Moses obeyed, took the rod like God said, and Moses and Aaron gathered their assembly together before the rock. And he said to them, now this is where it all goes wrong. Here now, you rebels, must we bring water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand and he struck the rock twice with his rod and the water came out abundantly and the congregation and their animals drank. So here goes the mistakes. Did God tell him to yell at them? No. Did God tell him to call them rebels? No. Did God tell him to speak to the people at all? No. God gave a very clear instruction. Speak to the rock and them and their animals will be, they'll get water. That was it. Um, God didn't say strike the rock. Moses struck it twice. Um, and it's apparent here that he's angry and he's frustrated and he lashes out at the people and he does something else. He makes it sound as though like him and God are doing like, you know, must we bring water for you out of this rock? Now, you really can't say that. God's bringing water out of the rock. So he messes up royally here. He, he takes the glory. Must we bring water out of this rock? He gives the impression to the people because remember, Moses was a mediator. And so he's given the people the impression that God is mad with them. Is God mad at them? No. God says, speak to the rock and they'll get water. Right. God's not like us. He's long suffering. Now, I understand Moses being frustrated. I under, the human part of me reads this and says, I get it. I, I get that he's he's had it up to here this day and he just cracks. So 
here goes a lesson for you guys that have those days when you have it up in here and you crack. Know that one day of anger, you could do something in anger one day that costs you forever. You could do something. There, there's jailers full of people that in one day of anger did something that cost them forever. Um, there are people that have, that have done something on a day in a moment of anger. Um, they say that it, when, when someone's really angry, it's like momentary insanity. You do really ridiculous things, things that as the anger subsides and come down, some people, it's like they come down off of something like, oh, I did that. Um, some people say they, they black out, you know, that they, they, they act up so bad, you know, that it's like, man, I, I just, I just blacked out, you know. We want to be careful if you're given to anger, if you have an issue with anger, if your anger gets the best of you sometimes, we want to learn from this right here because Moses is a good guy. Moses is a man of God. Moses has a call of God upon his life. He did a lot of great things, but today, this day, right here, he messes up really bad. His anger got the best of him. He misrepresented God to the people. He's going to pay for that. He struck the rock instead of speaking to the rock. He's going to pay for that. He messes up this beautiful picture that God had put forth in the scriptures all on this one day that he was upset. Understandably upset. The Bible says be angry, but what? But don't sin. So, so, so experiencing the emotion of anger is not the problem. Um, there are things that can make you angry. Um, there are even times where there's righteous anger. Um, where it, it, it would be righteous and appropriate to feel anger towards a certain thing. But the Bible says, be angry, but don't sin. Right? Don't let anger become the thing that leads you, that drives you, that causes you to do what you do. You're, if you're angry, you need to pray. You know, Lord, what do I do with this? I'm angry about that thing right there. And let him sort it out for you. So um, here's the picture that Moses messed up right here. Uh, we're going to look at it later on, but over in 1 Corinthians 10, which we're going to be at Sunday morning in, in just one more one more week, um, not this Sunday, but next Sunday. In 1 Corinthians 10, we get explain, explained to us that picture. Who's the rock in this in this analogy? Anybody know? Jesus is the rock. The, the rod is the piece of wood. What is that symbolic of? The cross. So the rock, Christ, is going to be struck by the cross. Afterwards, water would come out, right? What's the water symbolic of in Scripture? Holy Spirit. So check this out. So after the rock was struck earlier by the, by the by the rod, as God said that one time, right? Jesus is only going to be struck one time. The second time water needed to come out of the rock, he said, speak to it, right? And how do we receive the Holy Spirit, New Testament saints? For the ask, we speak. We ask for it and he pours it out upon us. Torrents of living water just filling us and overflowing from our lives. He messed up the picture. He struck it twice. And so God says, man, you, you, you messed up and it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to cost you. When any of us messes up, it costs us. If you're a leader and you mess up, it's more costly. To whom much is given, much will be required. And so for those that are raised up in leadership, I, for me, I believe that there are areas where if I messed up, I believe that the penalty for me would be different. The Bible says in James 3.1, don't be many teachers knowing that you will receive the stricter judgment. People will hold you up to a higher standard, and they should. God will hold you to a higher standard, and that's just part of the program. Again, I would speak to us as parents. Um, every parent here, I, I, my, I really pray that as parents we would understand the significance of that role in the, in the scheme of, of the gospel. That you know, every family, if you, could, if you could imagine that every family is like a little church, belongs to God and it should be a husband under God and a wife under the husband and kids under mom and dad. It should be a place where Jesus is the Lord of the home and people are being raised up in this home to love Jesus and serve him and to go out from your home and serve God. That's that's God's vision 
for families. And so every community that's ever existed has been made up of families. That's how God created mankind, that men and women would come together and they'd make babies and that make families and families would make communities and that's how the world would be filled up. And it's God's will that we fill it up with people, little people that know God. That's all we have time for today on A Transforming Word. Thanks for tuning in. Pastor Bill Buffington has been teaching through the book of Numbers, and we pray that it's been eye-opening for you. In this book, you see how God dealt with sin and disobedience in the Israelite camp, but you also get a sense of how God delights in obedience and a soft heart. The people then were no different than people today. It's all human nature, plagued with the curse of sin, but God didn't leave their side, and He remains by your side today. So if you're ever in doubt about God's goodness, faithfulness, or steadfastness, be reminded that God cares about you, loves you, and is there for you. We hope you continue to learn more from the book of Numbers, and we encourage you to read ahead on your own. If you're interested in listening to additional teachings from Pastor Bill, you can find them on our website at calvaryinglewood.org. We'd be happy to meet you too. If you live in the Inglewood area or happen to be passing through, come join us for worship this weekend. You can get service times and location information at calvaryinglewood.org. You'll even find links to stream our services if you're unable to be with us in person. Then you can catch up on previous messages online. That website again is calvaryinglewood.org. Before you go, we want you to know that we're grateful to have you as part of our listening audience, and we pray you continue to look to Jesus. Thanks again for joining us, and be sure to catch our next edition of A Transforming Word.